Welcome to CruiseNet, the podcast where we watch and discuss all of Tom Cruise's films in chronological order. I'm your host, Donovan Bruce, and with me as always is Andrew Mount. Don't say penis in this house. And Mason Kuzmich. Penis. Penis. Big fucking erect penis, ma. On today's episode, we're talking about Born on the Fourth of July, a war drama directed by Oliver Stone following the real-life story of Vietnam veteran-turned-protester Ron Kovic. What do you guys think? It's a good movie, and kind of a solid reminder. We really really don't protest like we used to. Good old Vietnam protest days. Yeah, uh, I thought this was a really good movie. Uh, I actually enjoyed watching it. It's potentially like the best one that we've seen, in my opinion. Yeah, it was, it's got uh, interesting it's ideas. no Top Gun. That I'll keep thinking about. Over, okay, I guess you could like Top Gun over this if you really <laughs> wanted to. And I feel like it's, you know, if you compare it to other, like, Oscar dramas, it's really good and kept me interested the whole time. Right. And, I mean, it, it seemed uh, fairly historically, historically accurate, which uh, seems very um, unusual for an Oliver Stone film, I would say. Well, God, that's true. Um <laughs> Yeah, suck it, Oliver Stone. You'll never be allowed on our <laughs> podcast. Uh, no, no, Oliver Stone, you're cool. I guess I don't know. I don't know enough about him. Yeah, I don't really know a lot that of much. makes a lot of Vietnam movies. I know that. I know that I am supposed to not like him because his JFK movie revived a lot of conspiracies or whatever. No, but, well, okay, but I mean, conspiracy theories, not conspiracies. <laughs> Platoon was really good. Oh, I didn't know he did Platoon. Mm-hmm. That was part of his Vietnam trilogy. Mm-hmm. That also includes this movie. I mean, he's a very good filmmaker. Didn't he do that 13 Days one, too? Was that him? Maybe. That's the one about the Cuban Missile Crisis? Probably. That, he that does a lot like of war and political movies. So, well, yeah. Wasn't he the one that did the recent uh, documentary on Vietnam? Maybe. Okay. It seems like something I mean, if it's do. something about Vietnam, it's probably about a 50-50 chance that Oliver Stone is involved in some way. Yeah, that's that's fair. He, he did W, right? I mean, he himself being a Vietnam veteran. He might have. I'm pretty sure he did W. Yeah. That I mean, Oliver Stone Josh actually. Josh and George Bush movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oliver Stone actually is a Vietnam veteran, so that's why he does a lot of oh, okay. Vietnam stuff. So yeah. Okay. Also, I, you guys may have picked up on this way earlier than I did, but it wasn't until the uh, we got to a scene that happens at the political convention, Nixon's political convention at the end, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where I was like, oh, they probably wouldn't include this scene unless it was based on something real. So Ron Kovic right. was actually a real guy, which I didn't figure out until three quarters of the way through this movie. Yep. Yeah, but this film's based on his autobiography, which yeah. is also called Born on the Fourth of July. Yeah, yeah. So that probably helps with a lot of the accuracy of how Fun fact, is. Tom Cruise was born on the 3rd of July. What? So this movie's a fucking lie. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> like most movies, <laughs> like most fictional movies, it is a lie. All fictional movies, sort of, in a way. Yeah. Well, okay, on that note, <laughs> let's uh, get into our discussion of Born on the Fourth of July. The film opens in 1956, Massapequa, New York, with a 10-year-old Ron Kovic playing with his friends in a forest. On his 4th of July birthday, he attends an Independence Day parade with his family and best friend Donna. In 1961, President John F. Kennedy's televised inaugural address inspires a teenage Ron to join the United States Marine Corps. After attending an impassioned lecture by two Marine recruiters visiting his high school, he enlists. His decision receives support from his mother, but upsets his father, a World War II veteran. Ron goes to his prom and dances with Donna before leaving for basic training. All right, so this part I wrote that uh, war is bad, because uh, I felt like that's probably where this movie was going, uh, just based on the... That's actually a really good thing about this movie, is I feel like the mm-hmm. opening really uh, makes a lot of promises that get kept throughout the movie, and you can kind of tell early on what it's going to be about, because he goes to that parade and sees all the veterans that are like yeah. injured and stuff and, and he's he, happy about and he it he thinks it i'm gonna like be bummer. that someday oh yeah, pretty much also another little fun fact here uh do you, you guys remember that one veteran who was in the wheelchair who was flinching at the fireworks was that actually that was actually ron kovic the real ron kovic oh okay. wow so. interesting yeah no i didn't notice anybody flinching at the fireworks in the opening i actually thought like yeah it was it just seems like it would be a bad thing to do it like a veteran parade yeah there there was one guy there there's one guy they were 50s i don't think we cared i mean that's true we didn't really know what ptsd was back then but now there was the guy getting pushed in the wheelchair and yeah every time a firework would go off he would go like that which is actually kind of called back to later when Mm -hmm. yeah when he when he's when he's in his 
you know, parade. He's flinching at the fireworks as well. So, yeah. But yeah, war is bad. War bad, uh, but also we got to stop all them commies, the communism, yeah, the yeah. commies. One, two, three, four. We don't want your fucking war. Uh, that okay? You're you're skipping ahead. Yeah, huh? that's why. Okay, that's it. We finished the podcast. <laughs> there you go. Guys. Okay, bye. Walk, 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 walk. No, it shows a lot of like the the supposed justifications for that war, which was you know you got to go fight communism, mm-hmm. uh, and also like kind of the standard, which like the whole little. Um, We've got to go fight in this war to be men to, you know, gain that glory, which has been kind of a standard with a lot of uh, war promotion in general and trying to recruit people. But, like, has really, I would say, declined, especially more recently, but, like, with just kind of the widespread uh, access to actual footage from war and probably even movies like this. Yeah, and I just, I feel like... at the beginning, they had just really good economy of storytelling because you have to, in a really short amount of time, they basically have to establish that he is somebody who really believes in the Vietnam War, but also that he's coming from like an mm-hmm. an earnest perspective, right? Right. That he's like he's grown up and he's really competitive. And when they're talking about the war, like certainly there's that like be a man and glory element. But when they're arguing with their friend who doesn't want to join the war, you know, they're talking about like, well, we should serve our country and have to fight communist, right? So they mm-hmm. have like these ideals in their head, which we understand to be misguided because we know yes. what the Vietnam War ended up to be. Um, but you, you really understand his character early on, and even though he's misguided, you don't really blame him for a lot of it. I don't know about blame, but you see where he's coming from. Well, no, I mean, it's hard to blame. It's hard to blame, like, a high school kid looking at that because limited yeah. information just in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm going to just comment on the fact that this recap just cuts right over that uh, he, he didn't go to prom with Donna and dance with her. No, he cut in while she was dancing with her boyfriend and totally made out with her right in front of him. Yeah. Yeah, that was, was it Jed? Jed. Jed? Yeah. Yeah. I Jed, mean, totally. I mean, listen to that name. He's probably, he's probably a douche. Sorry, yeah. everybody listening wow. to this name, wow. Jed. Yeah, yeah. Take, <laughs> My real name is Jed. Take that, take that, <laughs> that brother, a lot Jed of Smock. Fucking asshole! Um, <laughs> is, is that a real person? That is a real person. Calling, oh, oh, is that that? Okay, I that's is that the, that Christian that, protester guy who you fucked with at A and M? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay then. All right. Well, okay then. In October 1967. I, I, all right, we'll stop there. Well, wait, did you have more to say? No, no I just. Yeah. I mean, you weren't saying things. I know yeah. there was a long pause, so I just felt like we were going to move on. Yeah. I'm moving on. All right. In October 1967, Ron is now a Marine Sergeant. Doug. I'm going to, because I'm Doug. (laughs) Ron is now a Marine Sergeant on a reconnaissance mission in Vietnam during his second tour of duty. He and his unit kill a number of Vietnamese villagers after mistaking them for enemy combatants. After encountering enemy fire, they flee the village and abandon its sole survivor, a crying baby. During the retreat, Ron accidentally kills Wilson, a young private in his platoon. He reports the action to his superior, who ignores the claim and advises him not to say anything else. In January 1968, Ron is critically wounded during a firefight, but is rescued by a fellow Marine. Paralyzed from the mid-chest down, he spends several months in recovery at the Bronx Veterans Hospital in New York. The hospital's conditions are poor. The doctors and nurses ignore patients, abuse drugs, and operate using old equipment. Against his doctor's requests, Ron desperately tries to walk again with the use of braces and crutches, only to damage his legs and confine himself permanently to a wheelchair. So that whole bit reminded me of something that I that I thought we might I thought we might be skipping over something, and it's a very important theme in this, and it's uh, the theme of his mom's religion and God punishing him for having a Playboy magazine. Hmm. Yeah, that's what I wanted to get to, but yeah. Yeah, I mean that was the thing. He got kind of a Playboy <laughs> magazine. And his mom's mad at him, and she talks uh-huh. about guys. Seems like tells him that God will punish him. Yeah, I would. I'm which going I think to, is what causes all of this. Maybe. I mean, I'm going to assume that this that they're like a Catholic family, and that that's just sort of setting yeah. up the kind of background that he comes from. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, like that kind of his mom seemed to put a lot on him, mm-hmm. just in general. Yeah. The the early uh, watching the JFK speech and just turned him and like. You're going to do great things. You're going to say great things, Ronnie. I had a dream of you speaking in front of a lot of people, and you're going to do it, or you're dead to me. Yeah, and like <laughs> it says in the uh, you know in the recap, 
she was a lot more supportive of him joining the war than his dad was. Right. And it's, you know, I think thematically it ties in a little bit toward the end of like, oh, this was, you know, this whole Vietnam thing was, you know, really destructive and we didn't really get anything out of it. And everybody told us to go. And the church was a big part of that. You know, mm-hmm. and it's just all these different institutions and in American culture were got to go fight for God go, and country and yeah, all that. to go throw their lives away for something that didn't really mean that much. Right. Well, and then and then we actually in this bit get to see him in that war mm-hmm. and the kind of the chaos of it all and really you mostly just see him I mean like like you said you mostly just see him killing civilians mistakenly committing and, war crimes yeah. to be fair he didn't kill civilians he told them everybody to fire in his command and then everybody's like fire okay yeah and he's like whoa what the fuck. Yeah, wait. So how do they kill all those people? Because it's like a house full of people. Like, yeah. Well, they're like so one, dozens of people. That so they like kill. the guy over over Ron, the guy in who was the officer over Ron in that situation, mm-hmm. uh, said that he thought he saw rifles, and he was like pointing out, "Okay, those look like rifles to me." Um, and so be prepared to fire on my command, and they kind of start trying to to spread that along the line, and something happens. A gun goes off somewhere, and Everyone just opens up. Okay, so they're just like shooting at this house from the outside because they thought they saw rifles in the windows or something. Yeah, right. well, like well, the, the village in general, but yeah. But okay. the, the command, gotcha. the commander, and Ron were trying to tell, pass down the line. You know, hey, get ready, fire when we say to fire, and then they all open fire anyways. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then the, gotcha. and then Ron and the the superior officer will run around shouting at them to cease fire and everything. And yeah. Okay. But I was just kind of confused about the logistics of the situation. Yeah. But yeah, so right. they accidentally kill a bunch of people and they right. don't yeah. seem a lot of, happy about it. A lot it. of women and children and yeah. one baby. Yeah. Well, they didn't kill the baby. They leave the baby. Well, they killed the yeah. baby they, when the artillery strike the came in. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's why that, that, that was right. That's, that's why, why they were running out because the village is about to explode. Yeah. And so I think the actual, like the straight line from that yeah this is a rough day for ron this is pretty much the entire source of his ptsd according to this movie mm-hmm. this yeah. one day because the, the deaths the, of the civilians there and then shooting his own fellow soldier yeah well and from the sound of it like he he and most of the soldiers didn't really see combat that often mm-hmm. like they would move through areas but most of the time there wasn't a whole lot of fighting directly mm-hmm. for a lot of them um which would then you know make sense that you do hit an incident like that and cause you some problems. Yeah. And uh, one thing that I like about this sequence is that, you know, I I think one thing this movie does that's like fantastic is that it really shows his like gradual change in his state of mind from where he is at the beginning, you know, for being a naive child to, you know, where he ends up as this anti-war activist at the end. Spoiler alert. Um, (laughs) And I like that even in this scene as they're sort of like doing these horrible things and they keep doing them, you sort of like understand what is causing them to happen and you see his horror at them in the moment. You know, you can tell that he recognizes that there's something fundamentally wrong about what's happening, but he just doesn't know how to be more than a cog in the machine, you know, just because there's so much happening all at once. Right. And while it also kind of shows them, especially given things that happened in other parts of Vietnam during the war, it shows kind of him specifically being, you know, at least mortified by what's going on, which is good. So there were definitely some incidents that were a lot, more deliberate along those lines oh yeah for sure yeah but but yeah i like that you're establishing early on that just at least in this movie he's doing terrible things but he's self-aware you know he has Mm -hmm. this capacity to recognize the wrongness of what is happening he's already starting to pull back from it later yeah even if he's not like fully able to to get there yet right exactly yeah then we get the really gross hospital scenes Uh uh-huh yeah yeah, gross. they were really <laughs> gross. Yeah, very, very poor facilities. Uh, the way the doctor described it, one of the doctors described it anyway, is just the government didn't fund them well enough, and they got hit with a ton of ton of vets coming back that they just couldn't keep all that well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, the hospital students are, I don't know, it's really gross. Like, it feels terrible that yeah. you'd have all these people who are in bad positions, basically, because... Yeah. The government's not good at telling the truth about things. And then they mm-hmm. have all these shitty conditions to come back to as well. Mm-hmm. And they had some positive aspects. Like the people who were kind of dealing with the patients one-on-one seemed to legitimately be trying to care for them and to the best of their ability yeah. given their limited means there. But only so much you can do with 
limited equipment and all that. Yeah. And we also have this scene, too, which, again, I like because it starts to show, you know, m- more about his character. Like, mm-hmm. you, you start to understand why he is the way that he is when he comes back. Um, is he sees, I, I think he's, is it a protest that he's watching or is it like a civil rights march? Well, there was a demonstration. Yeah, I think it was an anti-war demonstration. Anti-war. Okay. So he's really mad that they're burning the American flag, right? And mm-hmm. so he's totally against this. And I think his, you know. This is where you really start to see him doing, like, the love it or leave it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, him saying, and you can totally understand, like, in his position, you know, why he would feel that way, which is ironic, because it's like, you know, this is a symbol of the government that just kind of, like... Tossed you away. Yeah, just kind of fucked you over for no reason. And right now, they're not taking care of you, right? They're not... They have these really shitty hospitals that aren't giving you any help. You're not getting mental health help that you need. But you can totally understand how, once you were in that horrible position, it would feel even worse initially to see people just be like oh fuck you man like this was a really meaningless war like you can see why he would right. rebel against that idea because mm-hmm. it, it would suck even more if you're like oh all this happened to me for nothing well yeah and he like took it personally whereas those people aren't necessarily saying it as a personal attack against him or any of the veterans specifically but it's a i don't know it's it's one of those things like i went and fought for this yeah and it's, I mean, in that case, it's certainly not anybody was personally saying anything against him. But right. I think, I think that is something that people experience a lot coming back from the Vietnam War is, you know, personal attacks as soldiers, which is, and, you know. Well, the, that's actually not, it wasn't really, I'm sure it happened a couple of times, but most, most of the, there was a poll done in like 71 where basically 90, I think the result was 99% of uh, veterans coming back said, yeah, people on my way back all very friendly for the most part. Because I think for the most part, the protesters were trying to get the soldiers to actually come to the demonstrations and tell people what it was actually like there. It wasn't, it wasn't so much a, it wasn't the whole, Oh, you're all baby killers screaming at them at the airport. Like some people make it out to be. Okay. I I, I don't know. (laughs) I I don't know. Sorry. No, I mean, it's fine. I don't, I don't, Sorry. Okay. (laughs) I mean, I don't have a personal experience, so I guess I can't say, you know, that you're wrong about that. But no, I do get the impression that, I mean, I don't know. In the movie, at least, that's what's on screen is that, you know, people are flipping off soldiers and, Mm -hmm. you know, you. Yeah, that that seemed like it was like a very brief scene there. But yeah, during during his parade back home, that was definitely part of it. Well, they, they did it a lot in this movie, flipping off the soldiers and everything. It wasn't just that parade scene. It was. That's where I noticed it the most. Maybe I missed something. No, there's a yeah, shit I mean, ton he, of it at the Republican convention. Well, calling him traitor, saying his medals don't mean anything, and okay, see, I, well, I was thinking on the side of like the, uh, the I guess the quote unquote hippie demonstrators, but uh, yeah, like like once you're demonstrating against it, no, yeah, I guess I mean, uh, you were talking about just that one side, like going against the veterans, yeah, not necessarily against. Yeah, because I mean, when the veterans started protesting, and anyone who walks into a convention to protest is going to get shouted down too. Like that, that, yeah, yeah. And I, I just mean in general. Like I'm not making like a statistical, a specific statement about like you know what was frequently happening or how if lots of people were doing that. But I'm just saying, right. like it was there was a big anti-war movement, and there, there were was. a lot of protests, and it was, you know, I mean, it was a volatile period, mm-hmm. and you know, certainly there would be. I don't just want to say that the anti-war people are always just never making it personal because I think sometimes people do personalize, personalize it um, to veterans and probably did at the time, but sure. I was born like 20 years after this. so No, that's right. that's fair. We don't really have the historical context, I guess. Yeah. All right. In 1969, Ron returns home and turns to alcohol after feeling increasingly neglected and disillusioned. During an Independence Day parade, Ron is asked to give a speech, but is unable to finish after he hears a crying baby in the crowd and has a flashback to Vietnam. Ron visits Donna in Syracuse, New York, where the two reminisce. Uh, While attending a vigil for the victims of the Kent State shootings, they are separated when Donna and other protesters are taken away by police for demonstrating against the Vietnam War. Dead Dead air. Dead air. Dead air. Dead air. I uh, leave this in touch. I mean, this is a this is a rough bit. Sorry, I'm trying to find my part in the notes where we are. <laughs> I I honestly don't know what what all additionally to say about this. Like, this is you you see him getting home, and w- when he first gets home, like 
from from the hospital. He seems to be okay, kind of. There are definitely cracks showing, but he seems to be kind of holding it together, just happy to be back home and seeing everybody. He gets but you in, just see him spiraling down. He gets into it with his brother because his brother is kind of on the hippie hippie movement mm-hmm. side, you know, yeah. the anti-war side. Which so they kind foreshadowed of, a little earlier with the Bob Dylan song he was singing earlier on. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, with that brother early on, I feel like one of the first cracks that you start to see, uh, I just wrote here, Ronnie is a mess. <laughs> um, so he gets home, and his brother immediately tries to, like, basically apologize for not visiting him uh, in the hospital that he's in. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he just doesn't, like, he's really brushing off any kind of, like, real discussion about anything. And I think that's a theme throughout this movie, um, and a really great theme for Vietnam in the 70s and, you know, you see it in all the movies about Nixon and stuff is that, you know, people um, people had a problem with telling you the truth about Vietnam, whether mm-hmm. it was like on a grand political level, like we're not winning this war or whether it was on a personal level. Like I have all this trauma that I can't share and I can't have like a meaningful conversation with my family about it. And mm-hmm. he's just right. acting really chipper when he gets home, like excessively. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it doesn't last very long. Nope. No. Yeah. His visit to uh, to his friend's burger place doesn't seem to help either. But good friend offers to uh, start him as a cashier, right? Yeah, he has, and that was his friend, right? That that didn't <laughs> the the one friend that argument. didn't enlist. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So at the beginning, they had a friend who was like, "No, I don't want to enlist." And he was kind of, I I think I wrote here, Steve's Steve's right, but he's an asshole. Oh, he's definitely a dick about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like early on when they're talking about enlisting, he's like, "No, I'm going to get a business administration degree," and his reason is like, "I'm going to look out for number one," which is. Mm-hmm. Well, on the, the on the opposite reason. side, they're it's also not the most noble reason, but yeah. right on the opposite side, they're also kind of being dicks to him with the uh, what, what was it? Uh, someone's got to stay home with the women and children. And yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But then, yeah, so you know, they come back and he he does that. You know, he has a successful burger restaurant and kind of yeah. offers to give him a shitty cashier job to start at, which mm-hmm. must must suck. And yeah. you can maybe work your way up to manager of a franchise yeah. of your own, just and like it, uh, your dad. Kind of brushes over it in this but uh they do mention that his whole group of friends or whatever all of them enlisted except for that one guy and all of them except for him and timmy died over there and mm-hmm. then he he meets up with timmy again after that independence day parade and they yeah. go out drinking and stuff together there's a lot that they talk about there where basically you know and it gets more into this as uh as he becomes more and more anti-war but like the whole they destroyed this whole block they Mm-hmm. did so much damage to this town mm-hmm. yeah and this is the first time that i felt like his character was making some like meaningful emotional progress since he was in vietnam because he actually gets to sit down with somebody else who was there and mm-hmm. no one else is around so he doesn't feel like he's having to defend the concept of the war but they're just talking to each other and they both had such shitty times and yeah. you can start to feel the wheels turn in his head a little bit that like oh maybe this was not just like a bad thing that happened to me and a few other people but like this whole thing was misguided Mm-hmm. All right, in Massapequa, a drunken Ron has a heated argument with his mother, and his father decides to send him to Villa Duce, Village of the Sun, a Mexican haven for wounded Vietnam veterans. He has his first sexual encounter with a prostitute, whom he... God damn it, Andrew. Your name oh, pops you up, your name pops up yeah. and it, it covers up all the shit that I'm trying to read. Whoops, let me just move my cursor out of there. There we go. Leave that in, Doug. It's a little behind the scenes for our listeners. This is for the premium episode. The premium release for our all the Patreon subscribers. Our listeners that are so far have been you. Yeah. Yeah, if you are listening to this right now, then you're a Patreon subscriber at the $100 a month level. We've stolen your credit card and signed <laughs> you up. <laughs> Anyways. In Massapequa, a drunken Ron has a heated argument with his mother and his father decides to send him to Villa Duce, Village of the Sun, a Mexican haven for wounded Vietnam veterans. He has his first sexual encounter with a prostitute, whom he falls for until he sees her with another customer. Ron befriends Charlie, another paraplegic, and the two decide to travel to another village after getting kicked out of a bar. After annoying their taxicab driver, they are stranded on the side of the road and argue with each other. They are picked up by a truck driver who takes them back to Villa Duce. Charlie, by the way, played by Willem Dafoe. Yes. Um, so a couple parts that we missed from the mom that I thought were sort of, uh-huh. I don't want to say funny, but the mom kind of cracks me up as a character. <laughs> um, when he argued with his mom, she had one point, I think, uh, when 
she was criticizing his younger brother for being into the anti-war movement that he was hanging out with people mm-hmm. they and they're do like drugs they're i know it yeah and she's like they smoke pot <laughs> and she's just so mad it's just even better in the 60s to just be really mad at people for smoking pot um, be and doing then, much worse ma yeah i think in this paragraph is when uh tom cruise is arguing with her and he talks about how his penis doesn't work anymore and she's like don't say penis in this house well and he starts like pulling it out too yeah right i mean, like, i think he ends up like pulling his catheter out or something but probably. yeah no, it's a real heated argument but and I thought yeah. this was good it was a good moment for him to say like hey honestly mom like you have to you personally have to own up a little bit to the fact that I went to the war. And also, as a society, we need to own up to the fact that our religious institutions were encouraging war, meaningless war, as yes. well. Mm-hmm. He probably shouldn't have done it drunk. But. Correct. Yeah, the- but at the same time, I mean, considering everything else that's gone on, I don't know if he would have been able to do it sober. So. Yeah, I yeah. Think, think this is the part in the movie where he's talking about, like, thou shalt not kill and. You know, that shall not kill women and children, and that what you always told me, blah, 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 blah. You didn't kill women and babies. But he did. He did. Indirectly. Yeah. But, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, honestly, I don't have, like, a whole lot to say about this section. Uh, I felt like it was sort of sad when he was hanging out with that prostitute. And and Charlie. He was crying this is about angry it. other vet. Yeah, Charlie just seemed really angry. Uh, I may have missed a little bit of him because I wasn't super interested in him as a character. <laughs> but he just seemed like he was an angry vet who... Yeah. I mean, again, he has this moment where they're screaming at each other. They're getting in the fight on the, the road that they've been dropped off on. And it just goes back again, I think, to his inability to talk about what happened. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. he's just sort of being robbed of emotional healing by the fact that he can't bring himself to tell the truth about Vietnam. You know, even when Charlie's screaming at him, I killed babies, did you kill babies too? (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, Charlie kind of represents the other side of that spectrum, right? Where he's, like he's sharing, but he's mostly just screaming it at people and, I don't know, using it as an excuse for his own kind of aggressive shit. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's in a stage where he is... Yeah, he's not using it for any constructive purpose, which I think is ultimately what what Ronnie learns how to do is he takes his trauma and learns to tell the truth about it in a way that, you know, is making the world a better place. But this guy has not he has, doesn't have the last part of that component yet. Yeah. See he's a therapist, folks. See yeah, a therapist. Exactly. The Willem Dafoe character's got a lot more work to do. Yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, Ron travels to Armstrong, Texas, where he discovers Wilson's tombstone. He then visits the fallen soldier's family in Georgia to confess his guilt. Wilson's widow, Jamie, expresses that she is unable to forgive Ron while his parents are more sympathetic. In 1972, Ron joins the organization Vietnam Veterans Against the War and travels to the Republican National Convention in Miami, Florida. As Richard Nixon is giving an acceptance speech for his presidential nomination, Ron expresses to a news reporter his hatred for the war and the government for abandoning the American people. He com- his comments enrage Nixon supporters, and his interview is cut short when police attempt to remove and arrest him and other protesters. Ron and the veterans manage to break free from the officers, regroup, and charge the hall again, though not successfully. In 1976, Ron delivers a public address at the Democratic National Convention in New York City following the publication of his autobiography. Yeah, so there's a really good moment in, uh, in the Republican National Convention scene where they juxtapose him, like, trying to speak and then being forced out by security with Nixon's line about uh, showing the veterans all the respect they deserve. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was very good. Good job, Oliver Stone, if you're listening. And I know you are. Thank you. Thank you for being one of our our most devoted listeners, Mr. Oliver Stone. Creek? You're welcome, Mason. I am a devoted listener. Oliver! This is what I sound like, but don't look it up. (laughs) <laughs> Goodbye. Creep. Bye, Oliver. I mean, slam. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So did, cool. Sorry, guys. Did I miss Oliver while I was gone getting a drink? Yeah, no. And I'm, it's, I'm a little worried that he knows where we live. But uh, I told him that. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, no, this is a great section of the it's movie. It's not even a funny bit. <laughs> Why do we keep doing it? <laughs> wait, wait. No, no. Soviet Al Guinness now. <laughs> Please don't. Hello there. I'm... With the Russian government. <laughs> what is this accent even? I do not know. Uh, anyway. All right. Yeah, no, Bit that done. definitely wasn't funny. Cut that out, Doug. No, <laughs> <laughs> so, you can't. Don't do this on command. <laughs> you can't ask me for. All right, now let's hear your Bernie Alan Sanders. Guinness. No, I don't. I feel like it would just be anti-Semitic. So the movie. I would just try to do an old Jewish man voice, and that can't that can't turn out. That good, can't right? end well. So, no. so, so the movie we're talking what about. Movie? <laughs> what movie are we talking about? 
Born on the 4th of July. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so this section is good. I especially liked the confession scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know to mm-hmm. what extent it is rooted in real life. Um, but I always, I have a soft spot in my heart for scenes where people, uh, you would not expect them to be nice to somebody and then they are nice to that person. And so if somebody just comes to your house and is like, Hey, by the way, I killed your son on accident and I came here to unload that emotional guilt on you so that I will feel better. I feel like it's very reasonable for his widow and his parents to not be happy with Tom Cruise's character. Yeah. And well, I liked uh, that even the widow was like, I can't forgive you, but maybe God can. And the parents are just like, we get it. Like, I mean, she says yeah. that in a very cold way. I feel like she's yeah. pretty mad at him, at Tom Cruise. I but. mean, she is, but I felt like, I mean, the parents definitely took it a little better, but I felt mm. like she was like, not the worst, you know? Mm. It, like, not the worst reaction somebody could have to you doing that. Yeah, it, she, it didn't, she didn't try to kill him. That could have well, been. That yes. would have been worse. Yes, I guess. But she wasn't even like you know, fuck you. You get what you deserve, you know, and all that. But mm-hmm. she was just like very self aware. Like I could never forgive you for that, but I hope God can or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I like that the parents are just straight up like, we understand your pain. It's just like this. Like yeah, we've also our family has also been ruined by this war, and we also kind of find ourselves grasping for any kind of support we can. So we're going mm-hmm. to give you that support when you need it, which was nice. Yeah. And it had kind of been a theme throughout the movie, but they, they hit on it in that scene, which is like, yeah, can't for the life of me figure out why we actually had to go into this war. Yeah, exactly. The, the dad basically says that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a, it's kind of a turnaround from, from the early justifications, right? Like everyone was so sure about why they needed to go why they needed to like you had to go fight communism you had to go serve the country doing Didn't, this but uh, the question then became how did it serve the country who what, were we fighting did we really need to fight them wasn't there a little bit of that at the beginning? Like, didn't his dad say something about like, wow, thirteen thirteen thousand miles? It's a really long way to go fight a war. Yeah, like, but that was about as much as you got, and, and his dad didn't really push that hard on it. Yeah, and I'm not sure, you know, to the extent that this reflected you know widespread public opinion at all but i felt like a lot of times when people early on were expressing um that they didn't think that the war was going to turn out well it was you know older people like that or you see uh, you know the the wilson's dad later on mm-hmm. where it felt like kind of like they were veterans and had fought in world war ii and were mm-hmm. like oh we get that war's really bad and you should have a really good reason to do it mm-hmm. and we don't have a good reason to do this yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, and it's, uh, I like that the whole confession scene also is, you know, just like a personalized version, again, of this larger thing that I feel like we had to do as a country under the Nixon administration, which is this idea that, like, we need to be able to tell the truth about things before we right. can get any kind of redemption or healing from them. Mm-hmm. And sort of actually, actually come to terms with this shit. Yeah, we have to say what's actually true. We can't just decide that we want to have this raw, raw patriotic image and ignore everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which has no implications for modern day politics whatsoever. None at all. None at all. Take no lessons from this. Keep up that American exceptionalism. It'll keep us doing us great forever. Yes. But the flag. Yes. The grand old flag. I agree with flag. all political sides equally. Sorry. Go on. No, it's fine. I agree with what you're doing politically. <laughs> so then he becomes a protester. Woo! And the, yeah, no, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that, that was like the thing that, and I was kind of wondering when when the movie would get to that point because I like looking at the movie ahead of time. I looked up who he was because mm-hmm. it said it was a it was a true story, and it seems like he's best known for like for all of his anti-war stuff. And mm-hmm. it really that was really a pretty short portion of the movie mm-hmm. but that's understandable especially if it's you know a lot of it's an adaptation of his book yeah right like that that last bit is just kind of a capstone to it yeah yeah and i, th- I think the movie was you know focusing on like how does a person get there right when they start out as somebody who's gung-ho about the war and like a veteran because you can yeah. see i mean again you, you see early on with him how a lot of people could find themselves going into a conflict if you're the kind of person who really believes strongly in a conflict and you join the military to go fight communism or, you mm-hmm. know, terrorism or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you come back and people are shitting on it. How you could find yourself becoming defensive. And, you know, if you're not self-reflective like Ronnie is, you can just double down on something and just decide that it's okay to be fighting meaningless wars all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. But, um, so I thought it was interesting that the movie decided to be like, how does he move from one place to another? Yes. 
Yeah, no, yeah. it's good that he's yeah. an anti-war person now. I yeah. like when we don't fight wars. Absolutely. I'm a big fan of most of the times that we don't fight wars. War is generally bad. There are so reasons you, to fight, uh-huh. but we should do it as little as possible. Yeah, we should recognize how bad war is and be like, man, we should have a really good reason to go do this war thing. Especially if we don't pay for VA hospitals to be working well for people when they come back from war. Yeah. Yeah, but we only care about them when they're in the war. When they come back, it's whatever, right? That's the American well, way. Until we want a reason to, until we want a reason to um, justify dismissing um, immigrants. Well, yes. So then we got to take care of our veterans first. Why aren't our veterans taking care of? Who fucking knows? But you know. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> No, that's this is a movie podcast. You don't have to apologize for that. I mean, this is a political movie. This is it an is. Oliver Stone movie. Yeah, there's really know. no way around that. Oliver Stone would make a movie about somebody telling the truth about, you know, putting immigrants in cages or whatever. Sure. But, you know, care for the vets in the first place and also just people in general because, like, that's kind of that's kind of where we get to that point where we're just going and killing. Like, like they were saying, um, or like... Uh, I guess Tom was saying as Ron Kovic in at the convention, like we we were sold this this fake bill of goods essentially to go and kill this the way he described them as a peasant people who's with a strong history of resistance have been fighting for their own independence for what he said was the past thousand years. Mm-hmm. Um, we that we didn't need to fight. We didn't. We shouldn't have gone. Started killing a bunch of those people. But, like, it's kind of a disregard for their lives that makes this possible, too. Mm-hmm. Disregard for the lives you're sending and the lives you're sending them to take. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and if I can, I don't know. I was just trying to think that, like, I wanted to hop on a on a political soapbox for a moment. And yeah. I feel like I don't even know exactly what I want to say, except that I just, sometimes I look at stuff that we're doing now, like, all these times that I feel like we've almost gone to war with Iran over you know Mm -hmm. if we did i'd be like what the fuck are we going to war with iran for and i feel like the actual answer to that question would be like there are some people in power who have like decided that iran is bad Mm -hmm. and that it's something that should be removed from the board and that and then they would just give whatever reason they needed to like convince enough people in the country to be okay with going to war with iran and i'm sure that was so much of vietnam is they're just like we've kind of decided that they're bad and we're gonna throw in all this other you know communism stuff or we need Mm -hmm. to defend liberty and I don't know what going over to Vietnam and fighting would have done about that, even if you win. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you kind of have a modern analog to this with the Iraq War too. Like, we got a bunch of we got a bunch of Iraqis killed and our own our own soldiers killed, our own people killed to go fight these people for what were really essentially false pretenses. Yeah, Again. it doesn't feel like we got a whole lot out of out of the Iraq War, but they had oil. Yeah. Right. I mean, th- I they did. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, there we go. Therefore, we we won it. Dot. We won it. We we won it. <laughs> we won the oil. <laughs> we, 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 yeah, we win. Uh, right. No. See, old flag. She's a, a high flying flag. I mean, there's a you know there there's a, a very cynical version of geopolitics out there where somebody's like, we wanted oil, so we went to war with Iran, with Iraq because they had oil, right? You know, which is fine. I, I personally don't subscribe to that. But I'm just more like, no, I think that you just had, like, George W. Bush in office and a lot of people who were just like, yeah, no, we think Iraq is bad and we're kind of mad that we didn't get rid of Saddam Hussein when we had a chance last time. And so we're just going to do it when we have a chance. And we're just going to say democracy as much as we can until, like, a good chunk of the country is okay with us just doing this. Yeah, I mean, and I think like I think more than anything, twenty years later, we're still fucking there. Yes, but I think more than anything, that was large. There's like a an attempt to, not even so much about oil, but more like our own geopolitical presence, upping that in the region, putting yeah. a friendly government there. I think that's more of what it is. Is it's just this very like black and white version of like we're the good guys and people who don't represent our geopolitical interests are the bad guys, and it's yeah. okay if we go to war with them. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like that's not a great reason. I don't know. No, no it's no, call it's me not. crazy. But you know, it it sells or it uh, yeah, it sells multi million dollar airplanes that crash surprisingly often. Yeah. So that brings us to Top Gun, <laughs> our subject for the night. With me is Mason Kuzmich. 
I feel the need. The need for speed. And Donovan Bruce. What are y'all doing? We're switching movies. No. (laughs) All right. This is a 1982 movie about Tom Cruise loving planes sexually. Stop it. Oh, I would watch that movie. Talk about the born on the 4th of July. <laughs> oh, sorry. Are we at the end of a different podcast instead of yeah. the beginning of one that we recorded months ago? Well, since we, <laughs> since we are at the end, do you want to do your uh, worthy women in this movie relevant tests? Oh, yes. <laughs> I do love those. I'm Unless so you glad. have more, Mason, you look like you're about to speak. Oh, well, I was just going to jump in on that. I would say yes. I would say they definitely go beyond just being sexy lamps. This is our usual well, go-to let, test. Start, no, no, start, yeah, start with the Bechdel test. Let's break Bechdel down. Test. We'll, we'll um, go through all three. And first, <laughs> okay. you know, let me introduce this segment as the moment where I... I speak for all of women. Please don't make I'm that allowed your intro. to do because I'm a white guy, so <laughs> I can speak for all women um, and objectively decide whether this movie was good or bad based on these three questions. So Bechdel test, right? Uh, mm. were, were there more than one? Was there more than one woman in the movie? Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. Did they talk to each other? I don't think they did. I, I don't mean, think so. Kira Ke- so. Sedgwick talked to her female friends who had no names. Okay, well, that's part of it. Are they named if they talk to each other? Oh, and do they talk no. about something other than a guy? I don't remember them talking. What okay, do they talk okay. about? So I don't think, I don't think, I think any I th- named female characters converse with each other. I think that's like young Donna. I, th- th- yeah. I think young Donna talked to, talked to his mom very briefly. And it was like in the process of giving him his birthday present. Oh that, wow, it, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's really brief. So that, that, that's really brief. It, it's really stretching, but I think that's the closest it comes to that. Did they talk though? Wasn't it just him saying like you didn't have to do? No, this? I, I think his mom says hi, Donna, and then she says hi back. Okay. Well, and and so there's that. And, so in and, the strictest well, of senses, well, it sure, passes, and, and I, it wasn't yes. about a guy. So. <laughs> We have but there's very a, barely passed the Bechdel no, test. No, doesn't that, no, I'm going to keep interrupting the, Mason. A time doesn't this just okay. show you... <laughs> doesn't this make it even more pathetic that so many movies don't pass the Bechdel test? Is that all you have to do is for one person to be like, hi, and the other person's like, hey there. No, that's but that's not <laughs> it. There's like a certain amount of time that they have to talk to, I'm pretty sure. Oh, is it? I think it's like at least 30 seconds to a minute. Ooh, I don't know. That might be some sort of advanced I be Bechdel test. I, I could be wrong. Um, anyway, the second one is the sexy lamp test. Uh, what's who's our most prominent? Uh, I would uh, say probably Donna. Donna. Probably Donna. Donna and his mom, and I don't think they ever turned his mom into a sexy lamp. There's really not a lot of major female characters in this, but I'd say Donna is probably the closest, even mm-hmm. though she disappears halfway through the movie and you never see her again. Yeah, so it's like if you made Donna a sexy lamp, would the story still make sense? Uh, I think no. you would lose like a little bit of it. Because he has like well, that she, one scene where he talks to her. Well, she, she was well, she a lot of makes him. A, she had she had that. She was really the first person to really get some thinking about you know maybe the sword's actually bad and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, she's really kind of the turning point for she him. Kind of warms him up to the anti-war activism, right? So I feel like she does actually have, even though she's not in the film very much, and she's not really that important until that one scene, like you know the early scenes, just just high school crush okay. and all that but. so i'm gonna say she couldn't be a sexy lamp yeah um or if she did the movie would be significantly worse um his transition wouldn't make as much sense i mean if and you want to go he wasn't trying to fuck his mom yeah, so i don't think yeah. she would be a sexy lamp yeah, I was about sure. to say, if you want to go with so, the mom then no i think double success yeah so there we go we passed the sexy so. lamp test hooray the two out of two tests passed i think that i think that my, well okay and I, i'm still questionable about the bechdel <laughs> one but i think i think this might be one I think this is probably like the first movie that the sexy lamp test has been passed, right? Maybe. Yeah, it's a pretty no, honestly. No, not I Top Gun passed the sexy lamp test. Did it pass the sexy lamp test? Okay, because yeah, Charlie right. actually had her own story and was actually like relevant. Like she, she wasn't just that's a sexy lamp. That's like. a sexy lamp with recorded statements about uh, planes. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm pretty sure we. I'm pretty sure we we did the sexy lamp test for Top Gun, and we decided that Charlie passed the sexy lamp test. Yes, and we Charlie are, was of course, actually the definitive. Uh, Charlie was actually a fully fleshed out character, it wasn't just the love interest. Although, at least at the beginning, she kind of I was fell down. Into I that believe later. you, sure. but this, remember the sexy lamp. It's not just a fleshed out character, but it's someone who affects the story enough that you couldn't take them out of it. But I think that's probably it. He spends so much of his time bouncing ideas off of her in that movie mm-hmm. uh, anyway the last one is the maka mori test which is basically like do they have their own character arc that's not just supporting a man um i don't really i don't think so the mom sort of does she's got maybe like a brief arc i think donna does but you don't you don't necessarily see all of it i just yeah. don't i just she's don't got think her... there is a female character who is in the movie long enough for them to, for us to pass this test yeah that, that, that's, that's probably true there, there yeah. was no main character who was a female it was i mean it's all following ron Right. Really, he really he's the only one who's 
gets a lot of screen time. Like even like other major characters, like you know Willem Dafoe's character is on screen for what twenty minutes. Like he's he's barely there. Timmy's not there very long. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's really just him, and then it's just a it's revolving parents who are probably the most consistent revolving characters. door of like other yeah. characters. Yeah, even his brother. You think there's going to be this whole big thing with him and him and his brother, and really there's just that one altercation, and then all of a sudden he's just out of the picture. So like. I would say his mom could have had an arc. I think if, she has if, like a little bit of one, right? She I think seems... I think she would have had to have come in at the end though to like really round the arc out. Yeah, that's probably true. You'd have to get some confirmation that she actually changed from the big blood argument that they had. Yeah, but at the same time, you're telling the story about this guy's life, and they may not have ever made made up. I don't know. I don't know enough yeah. to. So let's call it one and a half out of three tests passed. Hooray! <laughs> Doing pretty well so far. Uh, and this yeah. is definitely one of the best written movies we've seen so far. So. Yeah. Yes. So definite, 80s. Uh, Pick definite, it up 80s. come on, definite feminist movie. Born on the Fourth of July. Oh uh, mm. no, no, not that. Um, <laughs> but see, is this, this the nineties yet? Was this movie made in the nineties? No, this is eighty nine. Right? We're, we're still in eighties. Yeah. yeah I think this is our last eighties movie, though. Yeah. Hooray! Yes. Yes. The next movie, Days Days of Thunder, was uh, nineteen ninety. Oh, so is that the racing one? Racing Top Gun. Uh, racing Top Gun. Oh, yes. God. Directed it's by the same. Di- it's directed by the same guy, Tony Scott, okay. and it is <laughs> it is Top Gun with NASCAR. Nice. Can't uh, wait for him to kill his co-driver. With the eject seat? Spoiling? Oh, okay. <laughs> this is Top Gun. I was like, are you spoiling this movie for me right now? But uh, but no, I, 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 like you were saying in our last episode, you know, you don't necessarily have to pass these tests for it to be a good movie or whatever. I think this one was kind of one of those ones where the way the movie is, having a strong female character with her own story arc wasn't entirely necessary for it to be a good film. I mean, it's following Ron Kovic based on his autobiography or whatever. You don't really need the necessarily to have like a really strong female lead next to him to get to make the movie better. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that all of them together are kind of like more useful as a way to judge like the totality of film. And mm-hmm. you should basically the fact that we... We'll ask these questions, you know, 20 yeah. episodes in a row and find that most movies don't pass them. We'll have to say, oh, in general, for a long time, people were not writing good stories about women, yeah, which right. we're doing I'd, better about now. Yeah, and I I'd, do think if somebody wrote this in 2019, they might give a little bit more to Donna's character or the mom's character. Yeah. I can definitely yeah, think it's not of like a total condemnation of the movie. Yeah. And I can definitely think of some more, some newer Tom Cruise movies that would definitely pass all three of these tests. So I th- yeah. think... Well, and then Gravity doesn't pass the Bechdel test, because yeah. there's only two characters, so yeah. but it's not know, perfect. I, I think as we go on, we'll probably get more passing on these tests. Maybe. Uh, you know, there's I, also... I, I f- think we'll be surprised at how how often it doesn't, though. Well, I mean, I yeah, can also think of some... Yeah, it's going to get pretty recent that it doesn't. I can also think of some modern Tom Cruise... Or like newer Tom Cruise movies that won't pass any of the tests. So, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's a thing that I'm surprised about when I watch things now because I think about these these te- and other things in my head while I'm watching movies. I'll just be like, wow, a lot of movies don't do this. Or like, I, you know, I was watching Stranger Things. I mm-hmm. won't give spoilers, but there's like an episode where like the two girl characters hang out and they're like going shopping together. And I was like, oh yeah, you're getting like really interesting parts of these characters that you never got before because it's just two girls hanging out and talking about like what girls would have liked in the eighties. And it's not just revolving around them, like dating a guy or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll, we'll see uh, next episode when we watch days of thunder. If the female character is actually fleshed out, spoiler alert. No, oh, I'll let no. you make, I'll let you make up your own mind, Andrew. This is your, uh, your segment, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably not. We'll do, I'll eventually, I'll do like a spreadsheet and we'll get some numbers once we're finished with this whole thing. It's like what yeah. the percentage of passing is on all these movies. Yeah. Maybe we need, we need to go back and, with our past movies and see see how many of those I've, i have a feeling most of them will fail oh yeah probably <laughs> but uh well all right on that note let's talk about some fun facts and background info on born on the fourth of july Well, this is a pretty successful movie, $17.8 million budget, $161 million box office, uh, also pretty well loved, 80, 89% critically, 76% from the public. Um, yeah, it's just fair. It's a good, pretty good movie. You know, Oliver Stone makes good uh, good war movies, so yeah. 
I'm just yeah. gonna not say anything and let him continue to spiral. Oh, just kidding. Yeah, you're not spiraling, buddy. You're doing <laughs> great. You're doing great. Uh, he didn't. There, he did not perform any of his own stunts unless I guess. I guess if you want to say that him being well, he in killed a, all those Vietnamese. Oh people, right, I right? forgot about the part where he actually killed a bunch of Vietnamese. Well, yeah, that's how he got a, into the role. He, he was doing some uh, some real method acting for I this mean, one, right? I, I guess he he did he did all of. I mean, he he was in a wheelchair and he stayed in the wheelchair pretty much the entire time after that paralyzed scene, and he was doing wheelchair wheelies and I stuff. I don't know if I want to <laughs> a stunt. I mean, we never actually defined stunt, so okay, Mason. <laughs> Usually Mason's the one no, who's like, I, no, he walked down the street on his own. Uh, I, I wrote, I wrote <laughs> okay. down he did not perform any of his own stunts because okay. there weren't stunts really for him to yeah, perform. There, really uh, right. there, were, there was running, a lot of running. Mm-hmm. You know, he was in the army and shit. Yeah. Well, there was some of the like rehab stuff, I guess. Was, was, was that him, like was that him wrestling in the beginning? Uh, I, could, I don't I see that qualifying. I don't know for sure if that was interesting question. But like yeah. that would, I, that would be one of those Tom Cruise things, right? Learn actually learn yeah. how well, to wrestle to do that scene. Well, we're actually going to get here. Here is um. I want y'all to listen to this, and I want to see how. I didn't tell y'all about this before. Sometimes I spoil trivia for y'all before we actually record it. But I just every fucking time he does this. <laughs> no, I just want y'all's honest reactions to this. Oliver Stone and Tom Cruise both expressed interest in using a nerve agent to cause genuine paralysis in Cruise's legs, but they were unable to find a substance that was safe enough to guarantee no permanent damage. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) What? That is that is honestly probably the most Tom Cruise thing I've ever fucking heard of. Are you kidding me? (laughs) But the idea that the director was also on board with this is mind blowing. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh, that's about the level of reaction I was expecting. So thank you. And then Tom Cruise was like, yeah, just stab me between these two vertebrae. Yeah, no, just give me some of that nerve agent. Let's fucking go. Oh what were they God. talking to like someone fucking in fucking Serbia? Daniel Day Lewis school of acting over here. <laughs> well here's just I feel like that's like borderline offensive even if it is <laughs> even if you do it. I don't know why, but just something about us. I'm just like, man, you're taking this way too seriously. <laughs> Uh, it's called acting all right is it acting if you've actually paralyzed yourself (laughs) um i'm also curious if y'all notice this because i did not notice this uh the entire film was shot in shades of red white or blue depending on the emotional level battle scenes all in reddish hue dream sequences in white and sadness and blue etc did y'all notice any of that i'm really bad about coloring i don't notice that shit i I, I mean i actually did i did notice the the battle scene that's the only one that i can really think of like the the battle scenes were all in kind of like oranges and reds the dream sequence where he stood up from his chair and actually ran out that was also very clearly in white like a lot of things are shot in kind of bluish though so that just seemed fairly yeah i mean it says the entire the entire film was shot in shades of red white or blue which i don't know Mm -hmm. if that's necessarily true because i can't i can't i can think of several scenes where i didn't notice any sort of color alteration or anything like that it must if it, if it was the entire film it was extremely subtle yeah it probably was i i know there were definitely times where it stood out but mm. if you watch the first episode of house md it's all shot in like a really weird orange filter for some reason and i watched it i've watched it like a million times and i never noticed the internet had to tell me that yeah huh. oh maybe that shit. maybe now that i know this on a rewatch maybe i'll pick it out a little more but who knows uh for duration of filming the scenes after ron's paralyzed tom cruise stayed in and used a wheelchair off the set as much as possible so uh probably like the bare bones of method acting there i guess yeah uh also the word fuck is used 289 times in this film yeah they say it a lot (laughs) he says it a lot after he gets shot in the foot which hey understandable yeah yeah uh let's see Oh yeah, the uh, studio was very dubious about the casting of Tom Cruise in the lead as he hadn't really tackled such a heavily dramatic role before. Okay, I mean, that's fair. I think, what, his closest... Probably Rain Man. Yeah, probably. Yeah, this is definitely his meatiest role, and I thought that he did mm-hmm. really well in it. Yes, he did a fantastic yeah. job. Whereas, you know, Rain Man, he, while dramatic, you know, it still had the comedy, and, you know, yeah. he was... There was a progression to get to that. It wasn't as heavy as this one was pretty much the whole way through. So Yeah. Well, and, and you, he really, he especially did, did a good job of selling, like, the just his own struggling through, like, the physical therapy and mm-hmm. especially early on with the wheelchair and um, the, uh, 
the bit we brought this up earlier, but the bit where he's in the car during the parade and just flinching at the fireworks, mm-hmm. like that seemed perfectly real. Yeah. No, he's a good actor. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people, I think he's kind of fallen into the action movie star lately. I think some people, you know, just hearing criticism of Tom Cruise and stuff just online, like, you know, just reading about it. I think people forget that he actually does have extremely powerful, dramatic acting chops. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is some of the best examples of that. And mm-hmm. if I can insert some trivia of my oh, own here really quickly. Um, this uh, had a bunch of Academy Award nominations. Mm-hmm. Um, it won for Best Director and Best Film Editing. Um, and it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor in a Leading Role for Tom Cruise, Best uh, Screenplay Writing, Best Cinematography, Best Sound, and Best Music. Yeah. So this was a very... You very know, popular. They were nervous about putting him in this, but this was a very well received movie. Mm-hmm. Also, John Williams did the score, which I noticed because that one theme they keep playing sounded a lot like. I was like, that kind of reminds me of Star Wars, but also Indiana Jones. I was like, <laughs> that's probably John Williams. Yeah, John Williams has a very distinct style. Yeah, so. but good music for this movie too. Yeah. Uh, also, um, and we're kind of getting onto a little theme here, almost that enough that I kind of want to make a, a, another little subsection here. Movies where Nicolas Cage lost <laughs> out to the leading role to Tom Cruise because Nicolas Cage and Sean Penn were both considered for the role of Ron Kovic. And that's happened multiple times yeah. now, including uh, The Outsiders, where Francis Ford Coppola directed it and did not give his nephew Mm-hmm. that part but well, gave one to tom cruise i know i said this while we're watching it but there were definitely points in the movie where tom cruise is acting in in these things really like genuinely reminded me of some of the, the like hamminess of nick cage's performances yeah was it scenes and where he was going batshit insane and shouting at people when he was shouting penis at his mom yes there we go uh, <laughs> but like no but he I was think... also shit-faced drunk whereas yeah. nicholas cage does that when he's sober uh, sure so. but i think this, i think this is a movie where Nicholas Nicholas Cage probably could have done this role pretty well too. I think that there's a lot of it that he would have fit into pretty well. Maybe not My, maybe not in the early portion of the movie where he's relatively, um, you know, still stable and everything. But see, I'm, that's what I was gonna say. I just, I feel like there's a lot of that dr- more dramatic acting, like the less crazy stuff that mm-hmm. Nicholas Cage I've never really seen pull off. And to be fair, I haven't seen things that people consider to be Nicolas Cage's like best films and stuff like that. I've but. seen some of those, but my hot take on Nick Cage right now is that I think he is, he is talented and he is a type of character that you can build a good movie around. But I don't know if he has like the versatility to do something like this. Like I was thinking about it. It's really an incredible role because mm-hmm. he just starts out as this kind of all American earnest, you know, Captain America type. And, mm-hmm. you know, he turns into this really bitter, unlikable person and turns into this really likable anti-war person by the well, end and does yeah. very well at all of those. Well, I've, I've, I've said this multiple times before we did this podcast in defense of Tom Cruise because, you know, like I said, people just forget that he's actually a really good actor because he's just you know shitting out mission impossible movies every year and stuff like like now that he's older he's just doing a bunch of action movies and stuff like that but he's actually probably one of the better actors at like making like a character change like a going through a big character arc i think he really excels at that like you know in rain man and then again that again in this movie like really selling you on who he is as a character and then being able to slowly change himself into a different character i think it's that's a really hard thing for an actor to do believably and he actually does it extremely well Sure. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And and we'll see a lot more of that too. We got we got Jerry Maguire coming out. That's a good one. Jerry Maguire. Yeah. Yeah. Show uh, prequel me the to, money. Prequel to Lizzie Maguire. <laughs> the human head it's weighs not. eight pounds. Yeah, I think that's accurate. <laughs> Wait, does that mean that it's a sequel to Cadet Kelly? <sighs> the movie that taught me everything I know about the Marine Corps. I believe so. Yes. Okay. I believe that is canon. Oh, oh, all right. Well, <laughs> that's all we have on Born on the Fourth of July. I do have a little bit more. God damn it! Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to make you make a liar out of you. But for anyone who is interested, uh, Ron, I'm not. Bye. Ron Kovic. Ron Kovic <laughs> walk, walk, walk. is still alive. Yes. He's been. Uh, he's been basically still going to anti-war protests pretty much ever since this. He protests against the Gulf War, against the Iraq War. Done a lot of things. Um, as of as of 2016, he published a 40th anniversary edition of Born on the Fourth of July. Hooray! Bruce Springsteen wrote a song about him. Seems like he's still doing pretty well. Yeah, still still alive and 
still doing shit. So, yeah. Good on you, Ron. Yeah. (laughs) I'm back, guys. Are we done with this podcast yet? Yeah, that's all we have on Born of the Fourth of July. Join us next time when we talk about Top Gun 2. Sorry, Days of Thunder. Uh, (laughs) I'm Donovan Bruce. If you liked this episode, make sure to rate us five stars on iTunes and check out Cruising at Pod on Letterboxd for our Tom Cruise movie rankings and other general movie stuff. I'm Andrew Mount. Uh, we have a website. It is gcatsmedia.com. Don't ask me why. It's G as in gravy, catsmedia.com. One more time, that website is gcatsmedia.com. Visit us there for this and other future podcasts that we may do. And I'm Mason Kuzmich. Find us on Facebook and Twitter. Our Twitter is at cruisinitpod. That's at C-R-U-I-S-I-N-I-T-P-O-D. Please and thanks. And you've been listening to Cruising It. Penis, penis, big fucking erect. Penis, penis, man, man, ma. man made of penises. Man made of penises giving you a hug and his penises are touching you. Is this what you believe in, Ma? Yeah, man made of penises, Ma. Is this what you believe in? Why ma? do you want a man made of penises, Ma?